We are going on week two in the NFL, and chances are you lost a bet last week. It's something that all of us want to avoid at all costs. But what is the best way to do that? Everyone on Twitter and Reddit is selling their picks or their method, but what really matters? How can we know what is useful and what isn't? Sadly, in betting, no one will ever know that answer. But I do know that I have information you need. Today, the Happy Hour Sports Boys and I introduce ourselves before getting into how the public trends impacted week one and how the trends will impact week two in the NFL. As a preface, this is a longer episode than what we'll usually do because of the intros. I want to aim for about 40 minutes to an hour each week. However, I want you to get to know us as we find our podcast voices. The information I have to give to you is second to none, but I want you to understand who we are so we can bet better together. Today, I also share some interesting prop betting trends, as well as our worst bad beats. Part of betting together is losing together. I want to hear from you, your stories of bad beats, to showcase every week. So I felt it was only right to start off the series with our worst beats. Thank you for taking the time to hear me out. I can promise you, you will want to hear about these trends every week once you learn what I have to offer. I'm so excited to bring this information to you, and I can't wait to start sharpening the public. Let's go. Welcome to Sharpen the Public, an NFL and sports gambling podcast made by bettors for bettors. The only place where you can learn to leverage public betting trends to win more bets. I'm your host, DJ Bianco. Years ago, I started tracking public betting trends for every single game in the NFL. I've been tracking how well the public performs when they are more or less confident, tracking how well the Sharps perform when they are more or less confident, tracking how well a team performs when their spread changes throughout a given week. Anything that's publicly available, I track it. I use this historic information to leverage bets that I, and now we, will make in the future. Seeking out trends to find winners is an incredibly exciting topic. And if you've made it this far, I know you're excited too. This is Sharpen the Public. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Happy Hour Sports first podcast, Sharpen the Public. I'm your host, DJ Bianco, here with my co-hosts and co-Happy Hour Sports members. We've got Andy and Rick. So this is our first episode kind of outlining week one of the NFL, showcasing who we are and kind of bringing our product to you guys. I kind of elaborated on it a bit in the first episode, the intro episode, but to give a little background about myself, Again, to start off this stuff, I'm DJ Bianco, longtime sports fan, uh, grew up outside Philadelphia, huge Philadelphia diehard sports fan, go birds, go, you know, all that stuff. I listened to the Philadelphia radio as a kid, and it honestly has led me to this spot today, you know, wanting to start a podcast about sports. So excited to be here. Went to South Carolina, background is in engineering, and that's about where I started my sports betting career. Like I said, an engineering background, I typically think logically and love to make spreadsheets and work with statistics. The boys here and I started Happy Hour Sports a couple months ago, trying to highlight some undercovered areas of sports that we really enjoy. And we're excited to really bring this product to you, bring our first podcast and see how it goes. We all introduce the boys. We'll start with with Rick. Rick, how's it going? How's it going, dude? Happy to be here. Happy to kick off the slate. It's exciting, right? A little NFL talk. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's been a long time coming. It's been a long time coming. I'm excited to start getting into some of the weeds of sharps and different sports and really show people what we've been working hard behind the scenes on. So excited to get into it. Absolutely, man. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, you know, where we met, what's your background? 
Yeah, so I'm from Columbia, South Carolina. Grew up as a Gamecock fan. You'll hear that trend across all three of us. We all went to college together. So my father worked at the University of South Carolina in the athletic department for a long period of time, well before I was born. Uh, So grew up following him to basketball games, football games, going in the press box in different areas. So at a young age, had that that yearning for sports and love for sports. Um, And didn't really start betting on it until I went to college, got invested, talking to different friends, had some different friends on books. Obviously, it's it's not legal in South Carolina. So I had to find my way to weaponize the knowledge that I had on sports, basically through college and NFL and NBA, college basketball, etc. So it was fun to try and show how much I knew about sports in the betting world. And as we all know, that's much more difficult than you would think from when you first enter. So Met DJ through a program that we ran. Actually, I was a mentor of, of DJs. I'm a year or two older, so I like to say I'm a mentor, even though by no means am I actually. So did that. We met, and yeah, the rest is history. Been following betting on sports for the past five plus years now. Have a wide, have a record across all different sports, and a knowledge that spans professional, collegiate, and even in COVID, amateur. So <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, I, I consider you a mentor. A good friend, and we like to to joke back in the day that he was essentially my father when we were younger. So to this day, I, I think it's you're still a mentor to me, and it's exciting to to work on this stuff with you. So we'll get to we'll get to Andy now, my other good well, friend. Well, Rick is just a pal. big brother, nothing more, nothing less. So that's what I have to say about that. How's it going, everybody? I'm Andy at Andy HH Sports on Twitter. Appreciate you having me on, Deej. I'm super excited to get this podcast going. And I know that if I'm five times excited than you are 20 times. So really excited to see where this goes and appreciate you having us on. Absolutely. I mean, it couldn't do without you guys. We're in this together, right? We, we, we love talking about sports and especially the NFL. There's a lot to go over. But before we get to that, I'll ask you the same questions, Andy, just to give the people a little bit about you, you know, how we met, what's your background, what inspires you about sports? Yeah, so I met DJ my freshman year of college. He lived on the same floor as I did in our dorm. Shout out Columbia Hall. Hopefully they have not torn it down yet, even though it is infested with black mold. Um, I then ended up living with DJ for the next three years. So we essentially lived together all four years of college. And then I, and I graduated in 2019 with a marketing and entrepreneurship double major. So starting my own business in happy hour sports was always a shoe in. I thought something like this might happen later in life when I had money, but here I am not having money and running my own business. So it's great. Um, Started my career in sales and then transitioned to product management, which I've been doing for about a year, just over a year as my day job. But really what got me into sports was my dad. My very first sports memory was the Indianapolis Colts Super Bowl in 2006, as I was born in South Bend, Indiana. Grew up a Notre Dame fighting Irish college football fan, but going to South Carolina and knowing that the entire city shuts down on Saturdays for the games and you will be actively partaking in those festivities when you're a student there. It was super hard to watch the game, so it was a quick transition to becoming a South Carolina football fan and not really following Notre Dame anymore. Um, but the transition from living in Indiana and being born there and then, but living in North Carolina most of my life made me a massive basketball fan being in both of those states. Grew up a Butler basketball fan because of my dad. That's that's his alma mater. And that's where you'll see a lot of my NBA ties, which is by far my most favorite sport. So Gordon Hayward's my favorite player. Shout out the Hornets as a Charlotte NC resident. 
Love to have him here, even though he's hurt all the time, as well as the Boston Celtics falling. The best coach in college basketball, the best coach in the NBA, Mr. Brad Stevens himself. On top of that, I found a passion for MMA and UFC with Rick during COVID, since it was the only sport that was on. So you'll catch us on the UFC podcast when that gets kicked off here in the future. And those are kind of my main focuses is, is really NBA. I do a lot of uh, leisurely college basketball betting, so you'll see me do some content there, as well as UFC and MMA when we can. Finally, just some NFL stuff here and there, like this podcast, and then I usually do about one to two articles a week for NFL, so check that out on happyhoursports.net. But enough about me, DJ. Let's just jump into it. Yeah, so to close that out a little bit, we, we do content on just about every sport. We kind of try to focus on smaller things in those sports because obviously the betting and sports world is very, very saturated with a lot of things, and we have to try to find our ways to, to get out to you guys. So this is a reason for the podcast, too. We're excited to talk about the NFL and the sport we love. But yeah, let's get into it. I think we should start talking about some interesting games this week. Rick didn't really explain that he's a Commanders fan as well. He does he does follow the Washington, you know, what a football team or whatever you want to call them. So I'd like to hear your take on the first game. The first game had a lot of ups and downs. Um, I mean, playing Jacksonville, you like to think that you're getting out with a win. And we looked great for a bit and then decided to let Jacksonville start to take over. So I thought Quince was good, though. I didn't really have high expectations for Carson, but... He looked good. Four touchdowns. I mean, two interceptions is very Carson-esque, but the weapons we had on offense were used well. But we do have you know, Curtis Samuel looked good. Terry McLaurin, rookie Johan Dotson was great. I mean, Antonio Gibson was used a ton in the passing game, which is really how I expect him to be used in the future when Robinson comes back. So, or Robinson, sorry, not Robertson. So, there are positives to take away, but I mean, it's Jacksonville. We'll we'll have to see how good I totally Jacksonville agree. is I thought, by the end of the year. But it's I really thought Jacksonville was going to gonna at least cover that game or even win. I thought Carson Wentz looked pretty good as an Eagles fan. I watched him a while. As you guys both know, I was a hardcore Carson Wentz supporter, Wentz wagon rider back in the 2017, 2018, even 2019 days where Carson looked terrible. I always thought he had it in him. Carson Wentz has the has the ability to to play well, and he showed it on Sunday. Yeah, he's, Carson has surely spread his wealth across our three favorite football teams now. So, super excited for you to get to experience it firsthand, Rick, since you've just watched him do absolutely crazy things with the football his first couple years in Philadelphia, and then doing a bunch of stupid shit with towards the end of his Philadelphia career as well as uh, – towards the latter end of his Colts career. I, I loved him. Like the first half of the season for us, he was sick. And then it, and then like slowly but surely, he gets a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more confident, and then he's throwing t- passes with his left hand and stuff. It's like, dude, what are you doing? He's doing that, and he's diving head first and fumbling the ball pretty much every game. It, it's, it's, tough to, it's tough to watch, but we'll see if he's progressed somehow. And it looks like the Cowboys are going to lose that division, and uh, the football team's going to somehow pull out, I don't know, maybe a wild card. We'll see what happens. Hey, that that would be that'd be a big victory if we can get to the playoffs. But I, I feel like if you could not go wrong betting Carson Wentz to have an interception a game, like if you just bet that 16, That's 17 a great, times a year, like you'd, you'd end up profiting. Yeah, can we get the public trends on that as well, please? 11 and 6. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one thing I do want to get into eventually. Public trends yeah, on right? prop bets is a limited, uh, there's limited data on it right now, but I did find some articles where they're they're starting to present that stuff more and make it available to the public. So 
I do want to start tracking that as well as we get into the betting stuff. Before we finally get to the betting stuff, I do want to talk about Andy's favorite team and the Colts. I mean, what an what a terrible performance. I could not believe my eyes when I saw that, let alone they tied, but almost lost to the Houston Texans. Well, you know what? One man's garbage is another man's treasure. The way that we have performed over the last several week one, specifically over the past decade and a half, getting a tie in week one, that's a win. That's a win for me. All jokes aside, it was pretty miserable to watch, especially like I turned it off. I, I think midway through the third quarter, I turned it off and I texted my brother and my dad. I was like, what the hell are we doing? Like, this is a waste of my time. I'm going to put red zone on the big TV now instead of the little one. And sure enough, as soon as when I turn it off, we start scoring. So I didn't, I, I purposely did not watch the end of it. I've of course went back and watched it now, but um, it's, it's just frustrating when you get super hyped up for the new season for the new quarterback because we're on quarterback number five in the last five years now. And then they just always drop an egg in week one. And I'm not sure what it is with this team because it's been slow start after slow start after slow start. And here we are heading to another bogey in the schedule, which is at Jacksonville. I think it's like I referenced it in my AFC South preview on happyhoursports.net. Go ahead and check it out. But it's like I think it's eight or seven of the last times we've gone to Jacksonville have ended in a loss. So I really don't have high hope for the, for this week either. And then week three, guess what? We get to host the Kansas City Chiefs. So it could be a 0-1-2 start real quick. The AFC South looks wild to me. I mean, the Texans are in first place at 0-0-1 in the AFC South. So are we. So, so are we. <laughs> yeah. It's a loss in my book. Um, I think the one thing to take away, though, is after those first three weeks, it is still tough because the NFL schedulers always screw over the AFC South and they either front load or back load our divisional games. So we have five of our divisional games in our first seven games this year, which is absurd. So it's like, that is pretty crazy. I mean, we're fortunate where most of our team is healthy, knock on wood, but that could be, I mean, surely that could be not the case for everybody else a couple weeks in here. So I hate that, that we have to get the divisionals basically out of the way right from the get go. After that, we have one of the easiest schedules in the league. Over 10 wins was one of my most confident season props. And that's bias aside just because of how easy the Colts schedule is and how well-rounded the team is. Besides, you could argue wide receiver is not that great. And Matt Ryan did look a little bit like 38 years old, as you'd expect someone that age to look like. Besides that, though, the, I mean, the rest of the squad is still the stacked Colts that you know. It's just they're still figuring out quarterback and not a ton of offensive weapons besides just JT and Pittman. For how old Matt Ryan looked, I mean, 50 pass attempts, 350 yards, and Pittman with 120 and a touchdown. I mean, they at least look decent. And obviously you ran Jonathan Taylor in the ground like you usually do with 31 carries, but I don't know. I mean, five of the first seven being this division is almost better because two of those opponents are Jacksonville and Houston. So, I mean, you got to think you're at least 500. Anything less would be a major disappointment. But... And if the Titans are losing to the Giants, literally – I don't know how the Colts can't win that division. So, yeah, that's why I feel good about that over 10 number. And the other thing, too, like we did the Texans do the Texans are bad. We, that's that's why we're roasting the Colts here. But 500 yards of offense, one a buck 50 of it was Jonathan Taylor. And then, like you said, Matt Ryan had 350 as well. So I think we either were first or second in offensive yards this week, which is a really good sign. 
and let's hope that that trend continues because that could uh, that could really help moving forward. So yeah, that's the Colts. I want to talk about the Eagles a little later, so we'll 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 touch on them in a minute. But I do want to get to the the root of all this, the root why I started the podcast, and start talking about the public data and how we can use it to to influence our bets, to win bets, and to help listeners win their bets. So I'll introduce this by saying this is data that is available from the Action Network every week. It's all publicly available. We have uh, Happy Hour Sports accounts on the Action Network, so we're allowed to see additional information uh, as opposed to just normal public percentage. We can see the money percentage, the sharps, over-under money percentage, and stuff like that. So it's really useful. Shout out the Action Network. They're very good. Everything that you need is on there. You can follow our accounts there. I'll link those in the show notes as well to follow our bets. But anyway, okay, so the public went 6-10. and 10. The overs went 4-7. and seven. So when the public was more on the over than the under, they went 4-7. and seven. The under went 4-1. and one. Money percentage went 8-8. Eight and eight. And then the sharp percentage went 9-7. and seven. So for those of you who don't know, the sharp percentage is when you take the money percentage of the greater team minus the public percentage. So say the Eagles this year or this week, actually, let's use a, a one from this week, actually. So the Chicago Bears had 37% of the bets, but 62% of the money. So 62% minus 37 is 25%. That The sharp percentage were 25% on the Bears, and they covered. So that is one of the nine wins. Oh, did I miss that one? Because I was on the Niners. <laughs> I was also on the Niners. It was a pretty rough look for us Niners betters. I mean, I can't believe Trey Lance acted like that. It was a monsoon, but I mean, I, what a terrible game. Well, they were one of my favorite teaser pieces, too, because it was such a low total. So to tease that down to basically a pick them at minus a half or minus one, depending on where you're taking it, or even minus one and a half. I, I don't know if it ever got to seven and a half or not, but they were a favorite teaser piece of mine. And then, yeah, like you said, the monsoon just totally screwed everything up. Yes. So what do you guys think about those, those records? And does anything stick out to you? The sharp money part was interesting. I mean, that's something that I always like. I say always, and I didn't even look at the example you used, but that's something I try to look at more and more often is like, okay, where are people who are betting the big bucks putting their money? And is it somewhere that the people as the general public are not putting their bets? That's all. That, that was a big standout to me for that game. I don't know, Rick, what did you have? Yeah, go ahead, Rick. Yeah, I didn't, I mean, I never feel comfortable when I'm on the public side that doesn't have the sharp money. I I just feel like I don't know something that somebody who's throwing a lot more money does know. But I found it interesting and not surprising, to be honest, that the unders for, the unders went four and one. People love to go for overs. We all want to see points, but I feel like the unders more often than not seem to seem to be the play. So I'll be I'll be following those trends and looking at some of the the sharp underplays throughout the year. Uh, it'll probably be a trend of mine. Yeah. So as I've collected this data over a couple of years now. One thing that has always stood out to me is that the public is very good at betting unders. And I don't really know why. I think it's because we have such this affinity towards betting overs. I don't really get it. But if I look back to, to 2019, what, it didn't happen much. But when the public bet the under, they went 24 and 17, which is, I mean, beating the book that many times, it's it's fairly impressive. I know that people like intentionally bet the over if they don't have a read on the game and they're not necessarily a tenured gambler. They're somebody that is like, oh, I want to see a bunch of points. That would be really exciting. Let me put 20 bucks on that. And it's like, you can still get excited about there being a lot of points without putting any money on it. 
The other thing too, I think that credit to Barstool Sports, they have had a huge like success, like growing sports gambling, in my opinion. And as a result, a lot of that is them jokingly betting overs all the time. I mean, it could not be jokingly. It's just funny to watch them screw up too. But uh, I think that's another main contributor with this huge fascination with betting the over is that A, people want to see points and, and B, these guys at Barstool love doing it. Yeah. Uh, another thing I think we should consider is that this is week one, right? These teams typically aren't right now playing players like they have in the preseason. People are still warming up to the, getting their bodies ready and everything. So they come out slow. It definitely looked like most of the games were going under at halftime of the 1 p.m. games. I mean, it was pretty, pretty incredible from my perspective. I was on that Jaguars commanders under it looked like an under the whole game sadly it went over because of some late touchdowns and a lot of my statistics were showing under but it is what it is that's what happens in betting i think that has something to do with it too so let me go back and look at 2019 what happened with those unders while you're doing that that is said 24 and 17 across the entire season there were only 41 times that is incredible that the public like there is a higher percentage of public money on the under only 41 times across the entire season that's like two or three games a week you don't know what the exact number is yeah it, it doesn't happen often it's, it's it is pretty crazy to me and i know that the important thing to to note about a lot of the statistics that we're bringing up and talking about is this year will cumulatively give us more information each year is different we're not really focusing on 2020 because it was a covid year 2021 let's see how they did on the unders they, they went 31 and 24 on the unders in, in 2021 so that that trend is historic over two years at least, and we're gonna as we continue to, to go throughout the year, we'll get more and more information. And we can see how betters are betting this year, and that's another point I want to get to eventually. But Vegas typically always wins, so how is it that you know we see these trends, but they're still winning? Like people are betting more money on the under and still winning. Vegas obviously is in business for a reason, so a lot of things to consider. In business and with tall and shiny buildings. Yeah, they got lots, they lots of pretty so much light. money off of us. Yes. Hey, I, I think I think they can. They'll take losing a couple when the public goes under for the few times they do because they know for all those overs, the public's going way, way below five hundred, and there's a greater volume. So like even if they're only going about forty five percent, you have the numbers, I believe. They're still profiting way more than they're losing on the unders that the public is catching in on. The overs. The overs. Yeah. Yeah, I'm saying that that the books, like the casinos, are cashing in for a far greater amount on right. on the public losing on overs than casinos are losing on the public when they bet the unders. Right. But like the right. The, the the casinos are still netting well in the positives for totals. So another thing that I think is interesting to to show is that over the last years, not including 2020. The public went six and nine and one in 2019. They went six, nine and one in week one in 2021. And they went six and 10 in 2022. That doesn't scream trend to you. I don't know what does. I think that's pretty clearly the public not understanding the preseason or off season nearly as well as Vegas. And then attributing that to their, their bets. I think it's important to, to look at what happens between week one and week two. I believe people have gotten better at trying to cap some of these preseason games, but then they have it lead too much towards expectations when it comes to week one, not realizing that those backups that you believe that you have a vast knowledge on from preseason 
they'd have no effect heading into the regular season. For example, the Ravens. Obviously, it worked out really well for them. They smashed the Jets. But if they had a, a harder opponent or something like that, people could have been like, oh, wow, the Ravens once again went undefeated in the preseason. I'm going to slam them. But if they had somebody like the Chiefs or somebody like the Chargers, you'd think it would be a little bit different. Yeah, it is important to to consider who these teams are playing first first week of the season. I mean, but then again, it's not. I mean, it, we clear, I was on the Titans minus five and a half against the Jets. They clearly blew it. I mean, the, the Bears, again, against the Niners, these games that should be won by the better team just somehow turning around. And it's just crazy to me that even when I think a line is so, so bad, like I, even even in the Panthers-Browns game, I thought minus one for the Panthers was not nearly enough. I thought the Browns were not going to be good at all this year. So, I, I, I mean, I know I'm the public, so it's important to take this information into consideration and really go away from a lot of my instincts sometimes uh but that's that's the that's the types we have with sports betting the largest line week one was seven points am i am i right in saying that i think it was i don't think we had a seven and a half there you're right it's yeah. it's seven points there were two it was the, Bengals was the, Colts. And the Steelers. what was the Bengals? yep and then well, the other was the texans colts yep the colts was sitting at eight and a half or so, and then drop down to seven before the yeah, game. Some smart sharps there, or or Vegas just trying to get as much Colts money as they could in on it and cashing in. So, I mean, yeah. the games are going to be close, and if anybody puts any real stock into preseason, then what are we doing? What are we doing here? That's the second and third string guys for the most part. We shouldn't be putting that much stock in. So, um, it'll be interesting. I think I think we learned some in week one about some of these teams, but we'll have to go on historical data throughout the beginning of the season and gradually get towards this season's performances to really see which teams are for real, which teams aren't, to see if the if the Giants are actually worth a damn or that was just a one-week fluke. So, Right. I do think that was an interesting point that you brought up. Somebody brought up favoring and like the spread moving. That's another thing that I like to track. I think it's important to, to note, like, when because the Vegas sets a line, right? And then the public moves that line. So if it moves in favor of a team, the public obviously thinks that team's gonna do better, moves against, vice versa. So tracking that type sort of data to me is super interesting because if a line moves more than three points, the public is thinks Vegas is way off. And just based on what we know, Vegas is usually right. So like how does the how does that change? So I'll throw some stats at you guys from twenty nineteen. When the spread changed, a big one that I see, when the spread changed in favor of a team, one to one and a half points, that team went 19 and 31. Vegas sets a line at minus four for the Vikings, and it moves to minus five and a half. More confident on the Vikings than Vegas, but not overly confident, but not small confident, right? About mediocre. My 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 groups here are zero, 0 0.5, one to 1.5, two to 2.5, and three plus. So those are that's what I've dictated. But that's an interesting trend to me. 19 and 31, when the spread changes between one and one and a half points. Yeah, that's crazy. I know you had mentioned that uh, to us during the week, and that was something that I looked out for, too. Where do most of the line movements fall under? Like, which grouping there? So from where we have the most data, the most, it actually is that group. It's between one and one and a half points. Next closest would be half a point, so just about right. And then the next two are two and two, two and a half, and then three plus. And then the least is actually the spread staying the same. All right. I, f I feel like book tends to like have their side. The public chooses immediately. The book adjusts a little bit, but the book is generally pretty right. And 
take a stand at a certain point after about a point or two. So yeah, so for sure. Yeah, so that's just as a, a note. I think that's something that we'll definitely want to consider as we get more information for this year in the future, and so something that every all the listeners can consider as well. In addition, I think another thing that we can look at is how taking this information would have affected us if we were to bet, you know, knowing what we know now, based like knowing the outcomes rather than just taking my liens as well as what I have data wise. So if we look at one game, right? So the public is right about only 35% of the time when they are between 65 to 70% confident. So that's one of those ranges that I've dictated. Um, so that's all, all this data, again, is subject to change as we get more and more data throughout the year. But to this day, I have that public is only right about 35% of the time when they bet between 65 to 70%, right? So they're 65 to 70% confident that this team will win so that the public's betting percentage is that. So if we were to use that data for week one, we would have been right on both games that had between 65 and 70 percent. The Jags had 67 percent against the Commanders, and the Saints had 67 percent of the bets against the Falcons. Both of those teams did not cover. So pretty clear that you know this stuff does matter. Far too many people were trusting the Jaguars, like me. I, I bet on the Jaguars myself. And God, but that that's interesting. That's a trend I'll look out for this week. I, I might. I might I might tail that if I see that percentage uh, towards close towards about the, the noon time right before right before kickoffs. That's an interesting trend. Yeah, that's something that ex- really excites me about doing all this data is finding trends like that and really making it apparent. Because when you, when you put it bluntly like that, I think it kind of clicks for a lot of people that this stuff matters. Like to me, seeing a trend like that, we we're trying to bet, you know, better than fifty, essentially fifty percent of our bets. We're trying to get to fifty five, sixty percent, and if we see a trend over history that shows that when the public is between 65 to 70 percent confident just for the public percentage that's only for that right we can talk about the money percentage and sharps and everything else we we have that but for that specific scenario if they're betting if they're losing 35 percent or i'm sorry they're winning 35 percent of the time that's that's a trend that we need to look out for and i think and that's the point of the of what we're talking about so it's exciting to me that you agree yeah do you have the data on like if if a public is so hard on one side, how they typically perform, like say like the Chiefs, like I, everyone loves to bet on the Chiefs, like they, I'm sure they get about 70, 80 percent each game. But like when a public takes a side like that, how often do the public hit? That is absolutely something that I want to add to my spreadsheet, but I have yet to. And I think I have the data now, honestly, to do that. I just haven't had the time to add to that. But that is something I really want to add because I totally agree with you. The public loves to bet on the Chiefs. They love to bet on, you know, Tom Brady and the Bucks. They love to bet on the Cowboys. Maybe not so so much now with Dak out, but that stuff matters too. Yeah, I'd love to see just how like when when the public takes a side, just how often they hit. What would the like threshold be there? Like, would you consider it to be sixty five? Would you consider it to be seventy percent of bets? Like, or would you consider it just being like anything above fifty? I mean, what what would the magic number be there to determine like for a team like the Chiefs, right, where every, where we know that everyone loves betting on them? I personally would do the exact same thing that I have been following. I would break it out for each team of these percentages. It'd be a lot of work, but that is something that's really interesting and would be very good to know and have in our back pocket. Because if I knew that, you know, the public is whatever, I don't know, 75% right when they are 75% confident that the Chiefs are going to win, I'm going to take that every time or even between any of those ranges. That's just, Those are just the ranges that uh, the ranges that I've chosen are 5% increments. That's where we can kind of get into a statistics debate about 
what really should be considered. But from my perspective, anything above 75% is the same. I mean, that's maximum confidence from the public because I mean, even if I see that, I'm going to be like, I don't, I don't even want to take this because of that, even if I like the bet. Yeah, I'm with you. I get I'm with the public. <laughs> totally fair. Yeah, the public, as we know, the public typically loses. And there's a lot of, again, there's a lot of things that we can consider when we're going through sports betting. And that's the point of this conversation and bringing this information to, to light is we want our listeners and everyone that we're talking to have this information as well. Because it's, it's, it, to me, it's useful. And it sounds like you guys also agree, obviously. Yeah, I love this type of stuff. So it's it's a pleasure to be on the podcast because I want to hear more about it as well as like give my inputs from my experiences too. One thing I didn't try to touch on a little bit earlier, but we kind of went another route is how do things change historically between week one and week two? And then we'll also look at week two and week three. Things things are typically the same throughout the years, right? Week one is the first week of the season. People, teams are getting back into shape and everything. Then week two is where we kind of really see the teams fall into place. Like last year, if you remember, the Packers got destroyed. By, I think it was the Saints. I don't remember yeah, exactly. Yeah, Saints blew them out last year. Jameis, Jameis bent them over. And no one expected that. And then they came back and I think they won the next game. So it's important for me to look at the public trends between the two weeks. And I'll tell you guys right now that in 2019, the public went the exact same. They still bet, or they were, or well, not exact same. They went 6-9-1 in week one and 6-10 and in week two. And then in 2021, kind of something opposite happened. They actually managed to bounce back and go 8-7 and seven the next year or the next week. So... Obviously, there's no real trend there, so we can kind of look at that and say that you shouldn't just straight up look like, oh, they're absolutely going to bounce back because it's happened before where they didn't. Deej, I'm not sure if you have the data on this or if it's even available, but I, I would love to see something pertaining to an overreaction from week one. So, for example, like the Giants, they obviously overperformed. If the public was on one side, I wonder if they'll back them in week two now. Um, is there a way to see any sort of overreactions to performances from week one? Maybe the Texans is another good example there. It's definitely something to uh, go by, like case by case. So we obviously we can look at the money percentages for next week right now. But I'll tell you, just based on that um, example that we just talked about, the uh, Packers-Saints, let me take the Packers from last year, and we'll look at how they did in week one versus how they did in week two. because. They underperformed, right? So you'd expect that the public was, I mean, they played the Saints. They should be much better than the Saints. You'd expect that their public would be on them. And then do you think they'd overreact to that and think that they're really bad? And then against them then the next week, they played the Lions the next week. Um, but what would you expect? Given that they're playing the Lions and how bad the Lions were supposed to be going in the last season, I'd expect people to think that Aaron Rodgers would bounce back even with everything surrounding him and the vaccination and whether or not he's fully committed and all of that surrounding. I feel like people would still want to back the Packers after that poor performance. You would be incorrect because the public bet 68% on the Packers. They lost that spread, obviously. They come back, they overreacted. They bet 46% on the Packers that that week. So close, but they bet against Aaron Rodgers. Even though the line was 11 and a half, they still covered. And who they play in week two? The Lions. Okay, yeah. That was before MCDC really caught his mojo, though, because it's about second half of last year, baby, when the Lions started turning it up. But they, the Lions were a covering machine last year, so not even covering that 11 and a half. I mean, they were still figuring shit out. 
Yeah, they lost by 17. So it, it's clear to me that the answer to your question, Pat, just on that, there's a lot more data that you'd have to go through. But the public definitely overreacts to teams. So that's something that we should look out for um, in our, you know, our bets for, for week two. So I've got, a, I've got a question about week two. So I don't know if this is like if there's precedent for this or not. I mean, you probably have to dig back years and years and years and years even further than the the three that the spread that the spreadsheet covers. But we've got four games with spreads that are ten points or ten and a half. And I'd be interested to see like which side the public tends to go with because on such a massive spread, I, I could totally see them being homers and being like, oh yeah, the Rams are going to blow out the Falcons because they're minus ten and a half. Or, oh, yeah, the Packers are going to blow out the Bears at minus 10. Bills hosting the Titans. That's one that's a little bit weird to me. I understand the Bills, but being amazing and, and torturing the Rams in that second half Thursday night. But the Titans aren't bad. <laughs> they're, not, they're not bad at all. That was your number one seed last season. And then the other one, uh, who did I miss? Oh, the Broncos at minus 10 hosting Houston. Do we have any data on that? Like, what, the, which way the public tends to side on that, and what the result tends to be? I think it definitely varies case by case, but that is something that I think would be publicly available. I don't track that, but it's something we can look up and present later. It is something that I think is very interesting as well. I did consider that today, actually, as I was finalizing stuff for the podcast. Like, what happens when like the spread is minus ten? Do they do we typically bet on the favorite or against? That's definitely some interesting information that I'll look out for in the future. Yeah, and another thing, like I said to start it off, is just like what is the precedent for that? Because ten as the spread and having it four different games in week two, we were all we're, the season just started. How are there people that are already favored to win by ten points? That's nuts to me. <laughs> yeah, uh, I couldn't tell you, especially a team like Tennessee. I know the Bills are good, but 10 points, borderline disrespectful. If that doesn't show you where I'll probably be betting. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a, There you go. So another point on that is right now, <laughs> the Bills have a 67% chance public betting percentage. So that's between that range that we just talked about, <laughs> between 65 and 70. So I think... I'm ripping it now. We're all... <laughs> yeah, there you go. We're all going to be on that one. Look at that. In real time, we're we're coming to you with that stuff. So to bring it back to the Bears, though, and, and uh, the Packers game week two, and to bring it back to Pat's question, we're already seeing those trends, right? So the the Bears got 37% of the bets week one. They overperformed, right? No one expected, well, I guess a lot of people, I don't know, 37% of people <laughs> projected them to, to actually cover. I did not. I didn't think that they had what it took. So people are overreacting to that now in week two from the 37% that the Bears had in week one. They have 63% of the bets against the Packers. So who's to say what will happen in that in that game? But that's it's impressive. I mean, they're plus 10, which is a large line. So I, I, I sort of get it. But to me, it's a clear overreaction, especially with the Packers underperforming. Yeah, that seems like a juicy teaser piece to me as well. Get the Packers down to a little minus three. If you do the seven-point teaser, although I am trying to stray away from those. Those are a little pricey compared to the six-point teasers. It could be something to look at. Who knows? Yeah. Andy's a, a teaser machine. He's been, I mean, he was on that Broncos game. You can you can tell us a little bit about that, Andrew. Yeah, that, that was just tough. <laughs> you can't see it, but Rick just grimaced <laughs> on camera. <laughs> that was pretty brutal. The The big thing for me is, like, you when you're doing it, 
don't go with the three leg teasers. Anything three leg, especially parlays. I mean, I could go on a whole rant about parlays and probably do an entire podcast by myself about it, just ranting. But you don't want to do three legs, even though uh, the teasers could pay out at plus money, as well as like um, you could get like ten points. So you could you could theoretically get three of these guys in a pick 'em if you did like a three leg ten point teaser. It's just not worth it. They're like one of these teams, maybe even two of them, are going to lose outright, and it's gonna you're everyone's gonna be like, what what happened? And then you're gonna have our week two overreactions, and the same shit's gonna happen week three. So just be wary of that. There's certain indicators to look at when you're doing a six point teaser. Um, there's there's definitely significant numbers to look for. I don't know if you want to cover that now or, or in another episode, Deej, but um, there's there's a lot of different things when you're looking at teasers, and, and they're a lot of fun in the NFL for sure. Not as much in basketball, but a lot of fun in football. Yeah, I think that's something we can cover at another time. I have a segment on that. I mean, there's a lot. We love sports betting as a group. We love to talk about this stuff. There's so much we can cover, but we do really want to focus the podcasts right now towards you know, our betting strategies and this niche type of market. So in the future, if you guys, you know, want us to, to elaborate on stuff like that, please let us know on Twitter. I'll plug all that stuff later near the end, but, and on, in the show notes, but we appreciate any type of communication that we, we get from our listeners. So it's a good point. For sure. And, and, and before we end on the Packers here, I just want to point out that I've put a one unit wager on Packers minus 10 for next week. So <laughs> Here we go. Just looking at that data. That is called that's sharpening the public. There right you there. go, sharpening the public. Exactly, bringing it, bringing it home. But yeah, the last thing I want to get on for just week one games and some trends that we saw before I get into some of our other segments that we want to start doing is one record that I didn't shout out to you guys is that when the sharps were on the over. So, for example, if the over percentage is sixty three percent in a game. Uh, say, let's use a real example again. So, um, in the Dallas Cowboys and the Bucks game, the over was 55% publicly bet, and the money had 91% on the over. So that means take 91 minus 55. That's the sharp percentage for the over. Same thing with the spread, but just with the over unders. Um, in that game, pretty crazy. That's a fantastic example right there. I don't mean to cut you off, but I think that's a fantastic example of what this show's about. Like that is that is crazy. Yeah. Say those numbers one more time. I just want to make sure like people get this. Like that is nuts. Yeah. So the the public percentage, the public bet the over fifty five percent of bets in the Cowboys Buccaneers game, which was an over of forty nine and a half. The game finished at twenty two points, mind you, nineteen to three. The money percentage on that game was 91%. So 91 minus 55 is 36. Uh, I mean, that is a that is a massive lean and a swing and a miss, <laughs> if you're asking me. It's crazy. Yeah, that, that's absolutely nuts. There's something that either they knew or the public just grossly overvalued that the Bucks and the Cowboys were going to go into a shootout. Uh, there, I mean, there's plenty of factors you can look into, right, on why the public was leaning a certain way. It could go back to as simple as what we talked about a little while ago, that like people just love seeing points, especially on the Sunday night game. So there's a lot of factors going into it, but I mean, 91% of the money on the under is absurd. Yeah, it's important to to note that in that game, I mean, the under the game really looks slow to begin with. Dak did get hurt. It was, an, I mean, I don't know. 
there's a lot of factors at play, but the fact that 91% and it still went under is crazy to me. I do want the point that I'm bringing though is that the sharp over percentages in week one went one in four, which is to me another glaring trend. Winning 20% is terrible. Um, and surprisingly enough, three of those games were when the sharps had greater than a 30% change, right? So I'll, I'll show the examples really quick. So the first one is that. Buccaneers game uh, again, thirty-one percent difference from a ninety-one percent money. The second one is the Patriots-Dolphins game, where the un- the public bet the under twenty-six percent, the way on the un- or I'm sorry, public bet the over twenty-six percent, so way on the under, and then the sharps had it at fifty-eight percent, so fifty-eight minus twenty-six is thirty-two, and then the, the final one would be. One where they actually won, which would be, give me a second, there it is. And the final one was the Jaguars and the Commanders, where the public bet the over 44% and the money percentage was 75%, a change of 31%. Naturally, that was the one that I had the under on because I did see these trends, and that's one of the reasons that I bet the under. But, yeah, crazy. That was the one win, and the two, and again, the, the two losses were the Cowboys and the Patriots. That's just another great point, though, is like you cannot take this information and just blindly tail sharp money every single time and blindly just fade the public. If you do that, you will still ultimately probably lose money on your bottom line. If it were that simple, then everybody would do it. It's finding the actual angles where it makes sense to do this. And that's what this podcast is about. So I think that I'm sure that that won't be the last time that that's said, but it's always good to say it's like, people when they first discover this information like if you're if you're a first time listener that is taking in this this new way of looking at gambling not not new in the sense that it's a new thing and revolutionary like it's these stats have been around for a long time but the way that DJ is taking a look at it is a little bit different you, you don't just go and start blindly fading the public and 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 tailing the sharp money cuz they will be wrong sometimes as we saw there from from DJ's example yeah, that's a great point, Andrew. It's a, it's 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 a give and take. It, it, I really like to take it all this information in consideration with my, with my own leans. That's why I want to have this podcast and have these discussions because I think it's really useful information for everyone to take. However, they want to use it. Feel free to ask me questions, and I'll tell you whatever stats I have. This is this is for you. So I want us to all win together, right? So I think that's a great point. If it was that easy, everyone would do it, and that's the bottom line. So that's a very good point. Last point again on the on all the spreads and stuff. The over went the sharps over went one and four. That's just another glaring trend that I think we'll need to look out for in the future. It does look like in 2019 they kind of evened out over throughout the year. So maybe that's something we can also consider to bet the other side of it. But just seeing that type of money, seeing numbers over 75 and over 30 percent for sharps, it's just a red flag. And having this information for me is really is really useful because. It adds more depth to to the numbers, for sure. Pat, it looks like you're writing something down over there. What what is it? What do you got? Yeah, I think I think a trend that I was interested in last year that I'm going to be following this year is teams that are more than a touchdown dog in low totals. So I've got it at 43 or lower, taking the dog in this scenario because it should be a low scoring game. And while we didn't have any games that qualified for that last week, given the biggest spread was seven. There's a few that do it this week. The Seahawks being eight and a half point dogs uh, with a total of only 41 and a half against uh, San Francisco. The Texans are 10 and a half point dogs with a total of 42. 
against Denver, and then the Bears are 10-point dogs with a total of 42 against the Packers. So given that it's going to be low-scoring affairs, all you really need from those from those underdogs is about 17, maybe 20 points at max, and those should cash. I might even throw a couple of those in a teaser and get those up to 16, 17. If it's a low-scoring game, I feel like the chances are they'll cash. And I'm going to try and do some historical historical records on those as well. So an idea I came up with mid-pod. That's awesome. Looks like we're going head-to-head there on uh, Packers and Bears, potentially. <laughs> B, we'll have to see what the data says historically. I'll be the uh, I'll be the public overreaction to the uh, to the <laughs> to the Bears potentially potentially <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> look at that trying to trying to sharpen the public and he just he just goes right back to it. <laughs> yeah, and then here I am. I hear I hear two points on on the public money and the sharp money, and I go all right minus ten lock it in one unit. <laughs> Don't even need to think. Might even tweet that one out. You need to think about <laughs> <So>. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's the fun of sports betting is you. I mean, at the end of the day, we can do all this analysis and research, and we really can get down to the nitty gritty. But sometimes it just comes down to like luck and crazy things happening. Like again, injuries happen, monsoons happen, <laughs> anything can happen, especially in the NFL. Inverse coach the could Texans... not call a timeout and waste thirty seconds at oh the end of the God. game and kick a sixty-four. That's another field. thing. Yeah, another... you can't control that, man. I mean, if, if if you tease Denver to minus one, cough, cough, Andy, then you just got so you're just SOL after the coach decided to um, to poorly game manage. And offense couldn't score twice from goal to go. Not that I live bet their money line because I absolutely did. But here we are. <laughs> it, it, it's just so funny to me that the next day he comes out and says, yeah, we probably should have gone for it. Yeah, like what would have been worse though? Like it would have it would have been worse if he backed it up. I mean, like he he's in a he's in a terrible situation either way in that scenario. It's just because when you make a mistake that bad, you can either own it or you can, uh, or you should go back and be like, well, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And at least he went back on his word to the right decision, which it seems like anyone with any type of football knowledge as a fan or anyone who has played Madden would have would have a decent understanding of that. You can't double down on being stupid. <laughs> no. Well, you can, but it's frowned upon. You would be stupid. Anyway, but yeah, that's a that's about all I have for this week. I think we this is going to be like a dynamic type of discussion, I guess, between us three and then whatever you guys want to listen to. We can answer questions about anything. I want to provide as much information as I can so we can all, like I said, Try and win together. Uh, tweet us your best. Tweet us anything. We have a Happy Hour Sports Reddit that uh, we just started up, so we can start discussions there. We're, there's a lot of things that we're trying to do to to get this stuff moving. So I'll link everything again in the show notes. But we're happy to have you to listen throughout. So after moving from that, we'll I want to transition to a few other segments that I prefaced in the intro, uh, starting with some interesting you know interesting trends that I, that we've seen more so in props. So, like I said, props are not typically available to see, like, the money percentage and stuff. That's typically where you'll have to go to Caesars or go to wherever to find that sort of information. I'm hopeful that as we grow and get a little bigger, we can start having uh, connections with people at sportsbooks and really get down to the actual numbers rather than trying to use percentages and stuff and really fine-tune those numbers because as we get more and more information these this this stuff's only going to get better so 
in accordance with that, I saw an article today from, as I was trying to research trends that I'll, I'll share to the boys here. So the first, the most bet prop on Sunday was a rushing prop. Do you guys think that you could guess who it was on? Like somebody, like people were betting on the over yards for this running yes, back? Yes, correct. Or, or quarterback, I guess. It was a running back. I'll give you that much. I would guess Derrick Henry. But I feel like his line might be too high. Yeah, my guess wouldn't even be a running back. I, I like now that I know it's a running back, like that I don't have a guess, but my original guess was gonna be um someone like Mahomes or someone like like Josh Allen is not the most I I don't know. I personally love the Josh Allen over yards prop. That's one of my favorites, but I have no guess. The answer is Damian Pierce from the Houston Texans. He was a big fantasy uh, sleeper. A lot of people liked him, and he had a not a great game. I think he had 11 rushes for 33 yards. So he, the the prop went under. It had yeah. Didn't Rex Burkhead outperform him too? He did. I picked him up in as many leagues as I could. Shout out Rex Burkhead. I can't. One thing just on Rex Burkhead. Him and Davis Mills are the same person. <laughs> they look so similar. One's a giraffe. One's a giraffe with a neck. Dude. Yeah, Dickie Mills has a giraffe neck. They are one is just much shorter, but uh, yeah, shout out Rexburg head. Yeah, so eighty four percent of the bets and ninety point six percent of the money at Caesar Sportsbook. It, it's crazy to me that you still see these high numbers on overs in props as well, and it's uh, from both sides. The public continues to bet it, but then the line stays the same, even when it's bet so much. And I don't, I don't fully understand that. My my guess is that the books have a good understanding of where that line should be, that they know the public is going to go over, but that they want to keep enticing the public to go over. Because I feel like, and me included, like I, I struggle to bet under some people because I'm like, well, you know, one play and that's all he needs to get 40 yards, and for especially for receivers. I mean, receivers, you get one pass of 50 yards, they break one, all of a sudden they fit that over. And so... I feel like they, I mean, obviously the books do have a good grasp of where those totals should be set, and people just fly on overs, man. But it's weird that it was Damian Pierce. That's odd to me. But. Yeah, that's a, that's my point. It's like, it's it's very interesting. This happens a lot more in fantasy football than it does in fantasy basketball and player props, but like the that would be something really to kind of take a look at and it's difficult to track, but it just depends on, I guess what outlets you listen to is like, what fantasy narratives do you hear coming into the season? What fantasy narratives do you hear as the season goes along and how do the prop bets stack up against that? So, I mean, you're exactly right. Damian Pierce. I feel like everywhere I listen to for fantasy football advice, talked about him. Um, and then they set the line at 47 and a half. Nope. 33 and 11 attempts too. I mean, like he had ample tries to, get past the Colts D and only resulted in 33 yards against a defense that used to really suck against the run. Yeah. So I think I, I really hope that this data becomes a little more accessible because I was trying to find like stuff like earlier, say take the 15 largest receiving props and rushing props. And how does the public do on those? Are they, you know, whatever over 60 yards are they betting overs are they betting probably overs but how is it performing in, in relation to the bets because people are winning those we have to find those winners because just blindly betting overs is never gonna get you anywhere but another interesting prop that i saw this was all from the C same caesars article 
as I slowly try to figure out how to find information like this. But the most bet prop of the week. So the largest, I should say, the like the most money was on the Damian Pierce over. But the most bets were on Justin Fields under rushing yards, which is kind of counterintuitive if you really think about it. Yeah, just when I was talking about how the public loves to go over. They rip an under. I wonder if that that was because they thought the 49ers defense would hold them in addition to it being monsoon in Chicago. Um, did it end up cashing? It did cash. It had 28 yards. The reason I bring it up is because maybe it's similar to what we see in just general trends. When the public's betting unders, it's typically working. I mean, the Vegas knows that we love to bet the over. So even though the unders bet, just is obviously a general sense, when the unders are bet more, since the unders are bet less than the over, they're allowed to let those, you know, they can let those cash. Or maybe they don't focus as much when people are focusing on the under. Yeah, I think another thing with the Justin Fields one too is there's been a lot of Justin Fields slander this offseason after his underwhelming rookie season. There's some people, I mean, it's kind of half and half. Like there's a lot of people that are like, all right, like give the guy another chance. He was an absolute stud at Ohio State. Um, but I think that that also could have played a little bit of factor is that there is a lot of Justin Fields slander out there. So see that 34 and a half rushing yards, that's a, that's a pretty fairly high number for a quarterback. Even though he can, we know he can uh, break one out if needed to and scramble. But I, I could kind of understand where people might be coming th- from if they're just in, if they're kind of not in the Justin Fields camp at all that they want to rip that under because thirty four and a half is a fairly high number for a QB. Uh, next segment I want to get to is something that I wa- really want to engage the community with. Listen to to your guys. This is a portion of uh, betting that everyone experiences. I want to talk about everyone's bad beats and trying to go through those and trying to feel pain with everyone together. And so we can get through it together easier. We'll go through some of the bad beats for each week. Then uh, we'll preface this week and maybe some other weeks until we start getting submissions in um, with some of Rick, Andy and I's worst beats. But yeah, it's a, I think it'll be a fun thing to consider and help engage the, the community. They're so depressing. Um, <laughs> I'm excited to hear everyone else's because they make me laugh as much as they make me cry to hear everyone's. So I'm I'm eager to hear y'all's and I'm eager to hear what people put in because I've got some pretty depressing ones to share. Yeah, this my my first one this week won't be as good as some of the other ones I'll share. But ever since you've challenged us with that DJ of thinking of our uh, thinking of our worst ones, it's it's gonna be on my mind for the next for the coming weeks for sure. I think that uh, hearing some user submitted ones is gonna be awesome because you never really think about like some of the bad beats that you're going to get from props and stuff like that with how popular they've become over the last couple of years there's going to be some absurd ones where like a running back over yards and then he gets tackled for a loss at the end of the game or like a josh allen one right what if he takes a knee at the end of the game and then he misses by one yard i mean stuff like that is uh bad beat bound to happen it's so funny that you preface this andrew because my bad beat will take us back to super bowl super bowl 54 Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. I am a young man learning my way in Vegas. I was actually in Vegas for the Super Bowl. I go every year, and I was watching the game on this big scoreboard. I was excited to put all my props in, and I was like, absolute. I'm sure a lot of people might know where this is going. Absolutely a lock. Patrick Mahomes, over 30 and a half rushing yards. My man runs. I don't even know how many yards he had. He had, I think he had like almost 40, he had 44 yards now that I'm looking at it, 44 yards until the last drive. 
and he takes a f- minus 15 yard knee to take us under the 30 and a half line to 29 yards. And I mean, I don't, I, I, I had the chiefs and I was still upset. It was just, it's a, it's a it cash mid game. And you're like, I don't even have to worry about it. He takes a 15 yard knee. How does that even happen? <laughs> and why is that, why is that allowed in the scorebook? Yeah, is was that too? Like, did he burn a little bit of clock with that knee to end the game? Yep. I, he, I forget how that won the game. They won the game yeah. on his knee. So he purposely like burnt time and ran backwards to take the knee. Yep. Yeah, that's wild. And it's just the magic. It's the magic number, right? You still missed by one, or was it yep. two? Maybe it was one and a half. <laughs> I had over thirty and a half, and he had forty-four yards minus fifteen. That's twenty-nine. Me and I don't, I tw- the Twitter. I, I had to go on Twitter and Reddit to survive that. I mean that. It, it just doesn't make any sense. No. I still don't, why does, I mean, I get because he ran, but even kneeing still accounts for people's, for their rushing props. I don't, I don't get it. Do you, what, what do you do? Do you cap that? <laughs> do you start <laughs> capping average knees per game? Like... <laughs> and how many yards they lose? That's a great yeah, All right, they're the favorite, so they might. Like... <laughs> yeah, that's one, too, where it's just so mysterious that that's the magic number there. That he, he Instead of running to either side, he runs straight back. Yeah, I'd love to see the money percentage on that one. Maybe he had got the call, you know, the Buffalo Wild Wings call. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> even if he ran to like 10 to 20 degrees to the left or right, he probably still would have been untouched and you probably still would have covered because it, it would have been like 13 or 12 yards. I can't believe. I mean, it's one of my worst all time. I'll, I'll come up with more as we go through, but it, it's just it's it's haunted me since. So my. It's not my number one bad beat, but it is a bad beat of mine is. Jamal Hill, my favorite UFC fighter, dating back to the pay-per-view. I forget what number it was, but it was the summer of 2021, going up against Paul Craig. And leading up to that point, Jamal Hill was a minus 330, minus 350 favorite, continued to drive up that evening, as most favorites do on the UFC card. And he is a massive striker. Um, he's got some awesome knockouts. His only loss, or it was, it's not a loss, it was a no contest. He beat the guy's ass and then he had, ended up getting flagged for smoking pot, which is now apparently allowed because uh, Nate Diaz was smoking pot with the guy who took his drug test last week. So that's pretty awesome. But he was going up against Paul Craig, who is a phenomenal, phenomenal grappler and way, 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 way overestimated or underestimated what he was capable of there. And Jamal, because he's a favorite fighter of mine, I did go full homer mode on him, throwing him into different parlays, um, unleashing some more balance on him than I probably should have. And he goes in, and I believe it's only like, it only took two to three minutes for Paul Craig to grab that arm, sits down, and next thing you know, Jamal Hill is down on the ground and his shoulder is completely out of its socket. You can't, he can't even move his arm. Um, but he didn't tap either. It was like the ref like is the one that saw it. Jamal wanted to keep fighting, but he couldn't even move his arm. It was just stuck to his side. That was by far one of my biggest losses, and I would consider it a bad beat because the first couple of minutes, I mean, he was getting some good shots on Paul Craig. Paul Craig is pretty easy to land shots on. His game is really on the ground. But just because Jamal is such a novice at that point, uh, novice is kind of rude to say. I would say he was a novice in the sense of uh, – he was more naive than he should have been. 
it, it, it was it was game over. That was one of my largest gambling losses too. Was on that, and and since then we've really reeled in the the UFC to be a lot more unit based, which you can find on HappyHourSports.net. Look at Rick's uh, weekly card, and that's a great transition to hear what yours is, Rick. <laughs> yes, it is. I I will. I don't think I can get his arm flopping like up and down as he tries to like get out of the arm bar out of my head. That, that image will forever be there, but. The most recent one, which I think is probably my worst beat in a long time, is also in the UFC. I had actually tied this play to a future that looks wildly cash at the moment with Arsenal finishing in the top six of the Premier League. Um, <laughs> and I had Kamaru Usman, if you're familiar with the UFC fighter, uh, will probably go, or was looking to go down as possibly the greatest of all time um, in his recent fight. It was winning five rounds the first round, actually, but dominated the second, third, fourth, and fifth round up until about a minute left when uh, his opponent, Leon Edwards, hit one of the cleanest head kicks you'll ever see and knocked him out. The only time Kamaru Usman has ever been knocked out, knocked out to one of the cleanest head kicks. I was preemptively celebrating because Kamaru Usman loves to keep himself out of danger through his wrestling, good striking, and great defense. And until they separated, he decided he was just going to sort of coast and got hit with a perfectly set up, I mean, all credit to Leon Edwards' head kick that hit him in UFC's form of a poster. It was beautiful and also jaw-dropping. I, I had, I mean, I had five units on it. It was one of my bigger plays, and now I have to watch Arsenal do really well and not have anything attached to it, <laughs> which is very sad, but it is what it is. Um, at, like, half of me was depressed, and the other half of me was laughing at how ridiculous, ridiculous it is. That's how bad beats go, isn't it? I mean, you have to laugh at stuff like that. I mean, they they haunt you, but that's what sports betting is. There's things that happen. You sometimes we're on the good side of those, but it's it's incredible to hear these these stories. And it's so it's in those moments you feel like why me? Like why now? Of course, the one time he gets knocked out, right, is the time that you put five units on it. It just happens this way. And of course, like it's 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 interesting that both of y'all's came in such big moments, right? DJ's came in an iconic Super Bowl game, and then Rick's came in arguably one of the cleanest knockouts in in Walter Waite UFC history. So, uh, meanwhile, mine was just a guy that uh, lost a fight because of smoking weed, and then lost a fight because his arm got yanked out. So, it is what it is. Yeah, there's no levels to this. Bad beats are bad beats, and I think that's a good segue into understanding that we. I, I'm I'm excited for this segment. I hope that. We start, you know, gaining viewers that really want to participate because we're happy to to listen to these things and and talk about them and feel the pain with you guys. So, the last thing I want to get to uh, for this podcast is touching on week two and what we want to look at, what we think we should look at. You know, if the trends have helped us that we talked about already, or if there's any leans that we that any of us have seen. I'll open up to the boys to say if they have anything. But the week two slate looks pretty good. Yeah, so my week two early plays article went out the other day, and one of the uh, plays is already out, which was that Denver Broncos teaser with the Bengals. I still think the Bengals are a fantastic teaser piece, and the more we're talking about the Saints here, I'd be more than happy to tie those in together because that minus 7.5 number is very friendly to tease down to a minus 1.5 for a Bengals team that's going to be looking to bounce back against a Cowboys offense that looked absolutely miserable with Dak Prescott. Now you insert Cooper Rush, who I, I, I had people on Twitter tell me, oh, Cooper Rush looked pretty good. 
then oh, how come they started Dak Prescott then, buddy? Like, it's still the backup. So I'm not super high on Dallas besides their defense. There's no way in hell that Joe Burrow turns the ball over five times again. Give me Cincinnati, tease it down, as well as give me the Saints, tease it up to eight and a half. That's one that I'm looking at heavy here, uh, as we've talked about the Saints a little bit on this. And my other play that I am that I've locked in is the Lions minus one and a half. I'm not overreacting too much about Carson Wentz and company beating the Jaguars. I actually have a ton of respect for the receiving core in Washington, but I think that the Lions are a different beast. They are really, really underrated. Despite the hype that they got from Hard Knocks, I think that people are still sleeping on them, and they are one of the best ATS teams last season. Once again, getting to go at it at home, it should be, it should be like a three-point line in my opinion. So not to call myself an odds maker or anything, but I've got the Lions minus one and a half. You can find even more details about it as I deep dive it on my column on happyhoursports.net. Um, I don't have as much. Obviously, I, I have my plays for college football out that I like to get in early for closing line value's sake. I am looking at a couple games here. Um, obviously, I'm following that trend of dogs that are seven and a half points or greater with totals of 43 or lower. But I am looking at a team like the Cardinals. I think people might be overreacting a little bit to their performance in week one, getting spanked by the Kansas City Chiefs. They're five and a half point dogs. The Raiders are good. But I do think that should be a close game. So I think five and a half might be a little bit too much. I'm interested to see where that line moves. Play the Tennessee Titans on this while on this pod right now at plus 10. Yeah, I think we've got some big lines, but I might be looking at a lot of these dogs. It's going to be reactions to week one that we can take advantage of across the board. So. Yeah, for sure. Kind of similar for me. So I will release my plays every week, usually on sun, Sunday morning or Saturday night at some point, because I really want to wait up until the last minute to get those official if you want to call it like public percentages and money percentages in. So right now I'll talk about what I think some leans are. So, and just kind of point out some of the interesting trends that I'm seeing, maybe it'll influence the boys bets here. So just uh, standing out to me insanely is if you look at the totals for next week, we've got the commanders and lions, 87% of bets are on the over and 92% of the money is on the over. That is just insane. I mean, literally everyone is on the over in that, in our sharps being on the over and the over being a four and seven for the public, that's very obvious lean to me. Commanders and Detroit under. Both of those, I think, I think the line took advantage of the Eagles defense last week or on Sunday, especially late in the game. I think they weren't really prepared. The way that Nick Sirianni had, has handled the preseason has been kind of hands off with the real team. So I think that might be reasons to why the Lions scored some points. I really believe in Jared Goff. DeAndre Swift is the truth for sure. But yeah, that's a game that I'm heavily looking towards the under solely because of 92% on the, I'm sorry, just a lot of money and a lot of bets on the over. Can I add one thing there? Go ahead. That's like a, that's pretty surprising to me because I feel like when the totals are climbing closer and closer to 50, like people are like, Oh, that's a high total. I'm going to put it under, but just like, there's no really data to back this, but I, I just love me a low under and a high over. So I, I am surprised that people are like, Oh, 48 and a half. That's definitely going to go over. But 
you're right. I mean, after the Lions' performance and after the Commanders' performance, that's that totally could just be a complete overreaction. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's far-fetched to call the money and bets splits there overreactions at all because everyone's all in on that over. Yeah, that's another thing that an additional point to a lot of the data that I've been tracking. I do want to consider how the totals change too, as opposed to just how the spreads change, because I think that total opened at 44 and a half and is now at 48 and a half, which is a large change for Vegas. So just something to consider and hopefully something I'll have more data on in the future. The other game that I want to talk about that the line doesn't instantly make sense to me as I was looking at it throughout the week. And I like the percentages right now is the Steelers Patriots. Steelers are plus two and a half against the Patriots. And I just, I'm not fully getting that line. I don't think the Patriots showed really anything. I think the Steelers showed that they can hang, you know, with everyone in the AFC North. That was one of my overreactions. I think they're better than we think. Mitch isn't really much to talk about, but, and and TJ Watt uh, being a loss is something to consider, but Najee's going to be back. Patriots didn't show me anything. So that's a game I'm looking towards. I've got uh, another two cents there. I think I've said it now. This is my fourth time. I think this is my fourth game I'd consider a teaser piece. But to, <laughs> the reason why is it, it ties into what Rick was talking about earlier. If you can, it's, it's what he's been looking at, right? Anything that's like a, when you're bringing a dog to like that seven and a half range, and then you've got an, a total under 43, if you tease that, then you've got that scenario right there. Uh, I completely agree with your logic, though. Pittsburgh at home, for one, it's going to be rocking at Heinz. Or it's not, I don't think it's called Heinz anymore. I think they just changed it, which is controversial. But the Patriots are also dog shit. And that is a little bit of bias in me. As a Colts fan, I mean, they are my number one most hated team. It, it, there's nothing to like, though. Like, they are not good, guys. I, I don't know if there's any angles that you can take where it's like, yeah, like they had three or four big mistakes against the Dolphins, but. Who's to say that those mistakes aren't going to happen again? Like, this is going to be a mistake-prone team, whether whether you think that Belichick corrects it or not. The, the personnel just is not there, and it's slowly but surely continued to go downhill ever since Brady really forced his way and pulled that team to where to as far as he could and left. And it's got just continued to go downhill. I'm just – I don't believe in Mac Jones either. Yeah, I thought I did last year, but as of right now, I'm not – uh, but yeah, that's a, that's an interesting game for me. Uh, again, I do want to take the time to kind of see where the public puts their money, and uh, that is a big consideration for me. So look out for my article coming out sometime this weekend. So Andy, I actually have some data on those low total unders and those high total overs. Uh, for totals at 39.5 or lower, the over actually hits at a 53.8% clip. And for totals of 55 or higher, the under actually hits at a 61% clip over the past 10 years. Wow. So I know I'm with you. Like I would have thought that like Vegas would want you, like be enticing the public to take the over in those situations, but it seems like going the opposite way and, and betting the obvious is, is what's been profitable over the past 10 years or so. So interesting tidbit there. Yeah. I mean, here I am. I, buff- I am a buffoon and I am the public, so I'm excited to be sharpened here. <laughs> That's the point, right? Sharpening the public. Sharpening Andy is what I should have called it. Well, yeah. It, 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 this is this is the stuff that I enjoy, that we enjoy. Talking about sports betting, talking about the NFL, all these games. There's so much to consider. 
but we're happy that you know you guys are taking the time to listen to us cool to become one of your most listened to podcasts about you know the nfl and data and all this analytics that we're doing trying to bring this all together here so uh, I'd like to thank, you know, Andy and Rick shout out to their Twitters at Rick H H sports and at Andy H H sports uh, for being on the pod. We'll continue to see them and we'll continue to improve our bets here in the future. So plan to release these episodes every week. We're now regarding each week in the NFL sometime along the weekend. You can check out our website at www.happyhoursports.net for all of our articles. We post daily content, regarding all of you know all of the sports that we've listed today nfl nba mlb ufc anything honestly our favorite sports but most of them because we truly love sports so and i'm excited to hear comments and questions and concerns about anything that we've talked about today so we can fully refine the the show and grow into the show that we really want to become so thank you again appreciate you all joining us Thank you for being a part of this first episode of Sharpening the Public. We hope that you join us every week as we'll be putting out stuff about each NFL week and what we saw from the week previous and what we see in the upcoming games regarding the Sharpening the Public standpoint and how we can grab any kind of angle on the games at hand. We hope to become a part of your usual rotation of football podcasts. And who knows, maybe we'll give it a shot at some other sports down the road, too. For me, this is Andy Happy Hour Sports signing off. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, been a, it's been a pleasure. You know, this has been really fun. I think we're going to continue to get better at this. This is our first podcast together and learning the ropes. So we're excited to hear what you guys have to say. Learn, you know, learn by reciprocity and trying to, like Andrew said, become part of that rotation that you guys listen to for, for the NFL. So happy to be here. Happy to talk about these, these angles. It's always, it's been fun and excited for the future. You want to say your slogan? Oh, I didn't know that. That felt like a, that didn't feel like a, I don't know. Should we like sign off? Oh, no, I don't, I don't think they'd sign off. Okay. That is the sign. The boys bet better with beer. Say it again. I was, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) don't forget. Don't forget. And don't forget. The boys bet better with beer. Thank you, guys. Thank you. This is (laughs) (laughs) signing off (laughs) with beer.